Welcome back to the Sideline Sportscast. We're here with episode number 21, and we have a wonderful, nothing but NFL uh, episode for you guys. We're weeks away from opening kickoff in September between the Cowboys and the Bucks, so that means we got plenty of news, plenty of training camp uh, conflicts, and some uh, interesting uh, rule changes for um, this coming year uh, in terms of celebrations and taunting. But before we dive in to the NFL news, Logan, what are we drinking tonight? Brian, a, a lawn is a beautiful thing. and It doesn't happen by itself. So whether you're pushing or riding your lawnmower, we've got a beer that's going to help you get through that. We're going with a gra- against the grain this week is the brewery. This is the Lawn Boy Lemon Lime Ale. So All I can say is that there's a wonderful photo of some man mowing his yard really that's the reason i picked this can out this week uh it was just the the marketing got me the the new balance shoes the uh classic dad shorts the dad the dad outfit for sure right all right let's take it well definitely lemon limey Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of sour. I'd say more tart than sour. Yeah. Um, it, I'm not gonna lie, it's a little underwhelming. See, I I'm on the other the other side. I I think this is this is interesting. I was hoping for some like you know the taste of freshly cr- uh, clipped lawn lawn clippings and. Uh, some dew, but I'm just getting straight lemon. Yeah, I, I kind of I've been on a lemon <laughs> kick though right now. I've been le- lemon anything to me is really yeah. good right now. Um, so maybe that's why I'm I'm liking this. But I, it's unconventional. It's different, but uh, it's it's kind of crisp. It's kind of tart. A little refreshing. I, I might be able to get down with this. Well, I mean, you know where to get it six pack the next time you cut your grass. There you, um, go. you might have to finish the whole thing while you're uh, doing it, but these are pints too, so it's a little bit bigger. No, it's it's the problem is is all these beers we have we are drinkable beers, right? I mean, I'm not going right. to sit here and be like, no, I'm not drinking this beer." But in the the realm of beers that we've had over the past few weeks, this one's a little bit more on the underwhelming side for me, but I'm glad you enjoy it. So so you uh you mentioned the the fresh cut grass clippings. Have you ever done the um, bean boozled uh, jelly I've bean? I've tried game? some. I've tried some. Yeah. Yeah. There is one that tastes like fresh lawn clippings. Uh, so maybe uh bust that out. I do have some. So we're somewhere. you're telling me what we're gonna have is a bean boozled edition. Listen, Special we've done we, I've done that with the in laws. Um, we've done a bean boozled night and. Uh, Let's just say it is pretty hilarious. Well, there you go. You heard it here f- first, folks. Uh, Bean Boozled coming 2022. Mark your calendars. Maybe well, that will be the uh, inaugural video podcast. There we go. can in- include some special guests. But that's for a later date. Let's uh, get into the topics. But before we get into the topics, real quick, as always, check us out on the social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, at SidelineCasters. That's one word, SidelineCasters, on both Facebook and Twitter. It's that time of the year, Logan. I mean, football's back, right? The memes are, are already running rampant. There's GIFs and memes and just stuff to post. So you guys go on the, on the social media, post what, your predictions, go along with us on the podcast. Let us know who you think 
It's going to win each division as we uh, go through them. But with that being said, Logan, why don't you uh, get us into the first topic of the evening? All right. The Tim Tebow experiment has ended in Jacksonville. It didn't last long. The former Heisman Trophy winning quarterback turned sports broadcaster, turned minor league baseball player, turned long shot NFL tight end project, was cut on Tuesday after just a single preseason game. Unfortunately, if you wanted to see any highlights from Tim Tebow, uh, it's quite the opposite. The former uh, Florida Gator has gone viral for all the wrong reasons. On a second down play with only 28 seconds left remaining in the game, Tim Tebow made an exceptionally bad slide block attempt uh, on the opposing defensive end. The result left him spinning like a top. With the Jags having to cut the roster down to 85 players by Tuesday, Tim Tebow's number ended up being called by Jacksonville Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer. Brian, this is uh, your alma mater, your guy you watched. What's your reaction to the Jaguars releasing Tim Tebow? I'm very split on the decision. And we've talked about Tebow um, for weeks, you know, and months. You know, this was a story that came out very early on in the NFL offseason. And, you know, I'm split for two, two reasons. The reason why I'm kind of surprised that he gets cut, at least this early on, was the Jaguars are who they are, right? I mean, they've definitely improved. I mean, they had the number one pick, Trevor Lawrence. You know, he's gotten a little hate this past um, week, which we'll talk about later on in the podcast. But, you know, they're not winning that division, right? Unless something miraculous happens. Well, I know. It's crazy to think, right? But unless something miraculous happens, I think we would probably agree that um, Tennessee's the front runner with the Colts there in the conversation, depending on how Wentz plays. So I am surprised because I thought at the very least, you know, 53 guys is not a lot, but I thought at the end of the preseason, the Jaguars would have made the decision that regardless of Tebow's play, regardless of how productive he's going to be, you know, put him on the team you're going to sell tickets. You're going to sell jerseys. He's from Jacksonville. Like you said, he went to my alma mater, um, at least for law school at UF. And, um, you know, he's a big deal in Florida. Still have, you know, he, he's been a big deal for 15 years down here. Every time he's on, you know, the University of Florida campus, people go crazy. So I thought at, at a minimum, this was a business decision. Put him on the team, let him sell tickets put him in every once in a while on a, you know, third and goal play action, you know, roll out, try to get him the ball type play. But looking at the first preseason game, looking at the clip that you highlighted in in the intro, he didn't look good. And I don't think anybody is sitting here arguing that he displayed, you know, enough in that preseason game to to make the cut. So as much as I thought that he was going to make the team for all the reasons I just stated, I mean, I guess the number one thing you have to look at with him making this return is, does he have the ability to play the position? And I don't think he helped his case whatsoever um, in that game. I don't believe he even had a um, pass attempt thrown his way. If, if I might be mistaken, but I don't believe so. I there, think that's, there was one, but he got okay. picked off by a teammate. Right, and then uh, I, I saw that, yeah, and then... um. So I guess like the only actual pass attempt that will go down in the record books for him was if you remember the play when he was with the Jets where he did a little play action motion um, and then he ran out to the flat and the ball hit him right in the top of the helmet. Yep. That's your yep. legacy of Tim Tebow as a receiver. So 
not surprising by the highlights, more surprised that the Jaguars didn't try to leverage it more as a, you know, business decision. Yeah, I agree. Tim Tebow didn't do anything to to help his case uh, last weekend, but, but I still think it was too soon. You know, he had a bad showing, but it, it was his first game as a tight end ever, you know, and and like we've talked about before, Tim Tebow is, is more than just a player. He's a guy the locker room looks up to. He inspires the team. He sells jerseys. Like you said, he puts butts in the seats, which has been an issue in Jacksonville. Um, and I still think that he's more of that mentor player. And, and even, I, I said this before in the podcast, I still think he's that mentor for Trevor Lawrence as they share a similar path in college uh, with success being drafted high, same strong, very strong religious beliefs. Um, so I feel like Tim Tebow is just that good kind of mentor, player coach to help him, you know. But I really don't know what their relationship is. Um, I haven't heard too much from, from coverage on that. But um, here's my thing is Tim Tebow was never going to be the top tight end on the team. He wasn't even going to be the backup tight end on the team. He was strictly playing for that fourth tight end special teams guy, special play. You know, he just he wanted to play football. So it's hard for me to believe that even though he's 34 now, he's still one of the most athletic guys on the team. They couldn't scheme for him. They couldn't find a spot for him. They couldn't design a trick play around him you know even if they just use him as a as a distraction player i i refuse to believe that his intangibles as an athlete pure athlete don't make up for what he he lacks as a tight end and a blocker uh he he can learn those things he can't learn the other things that comes along with being a good teammate and mentor uh so i i find it interesting i i do think they should have found a spot somewhere um, punt return coverage, something. I mean, you got to believe it. He could make an impact. Yeah, I think, and I agree with you. That's a, one of the most surprising things. But you know, it. This is one career that's going to go down as one of the most questionable careers in the history of the NFL because you you name all those intangibles, right? Those are things that every coach wants on their football team. And just since his decline after he got, you know, for lack of better words, ousted from Denver and John mm-hmm. Elway when we knew that he wasn't the guy, right? Took him to the playoffs, beat the Steelers in the wild card round. Everybody knew, even if they won that game, that Tim Tebow's time was limited in Denver. It was a very slippery slope after that for him. And team after team, we're not there. You know, we're looking from the outside in. We don't know what happens in, you know, the uh, the player meetings and you know every aspect of training camp but it, team after team let him go you know at the end of his career and then the comeback obviously un- unsuccessful you would think that with all those intangibles that he would at least be a special teams player so it's just it's kind of mind-boggling to me that he didn't um you know go farther in the NFL I do think though for him you know this comeback and this transition the tight end should have happened years ago right and i think Mm -hmm. he put himself behind the eight ball you know coming back what eight seven eight years after his last game in the nfl you know there's been a lot of good tight ends that position has really evolved since the time that he was there 
you know, when he was in the league the first time around, we were still in the, you know, Antonio Gates, uh, Tony Gonzalez, you know, the end of that era. And I think the bar for tight ends has only gone up. And uh, I think that kind of hurt him in the long run. Yeah, you make a good point about the teams that have cut him uh, or traded him. And you're talking about Elway. You're talking about Bill Belichick. You're talking about his college coach, Urban Meyer. All guys who are very well-respected coaches. Um, so for them not to make it work, maybe he just maybe he's one of those players that is a great Saturday athlete and an awful Sunday athlete. Yeah, so. and it happens. It happens. But uh, I think that's enough for Tebow <laughs> for one night. Um, could be the last time we talk about him, but I'm sure he'll bounce back in some capacity. I'm sure um, he'll show up somewhere. He is a good Saturday game day college football analyst, so I think that's where he needs to go back to. And, uh, you know, the SEC is only getting bigger, and I think he'll find a nice little niche there. But um, with that being said, we'll turn to not so much a rule change, but the NFL has started um, some taunting pen- penalties, which will be the point of emphasis this season. And we might have caught a slight glimpse of just how bad it could get. Indianapolis Colts running back Benny LeMay ran up the middle during the third quarter, carrying a host of defenders with him for an impressive 14-yard gain. After getting the first down, he was understandably excited and jumped up as he flexed and was hit with a penalty flag for taunting. Logan, is the NFL going just a bit too far to curb taunting in the league? I'm going to give a conditional no on this. I understand what the NFL is trying to do, and I kind of agree with it. You know, I hate to see guys jump up after every play, flexing, going crazy, spin the ball for like a two-yard gain. I, I don't want to see that. First downs, touchdowns, big defensive plays, I'm okay. But I'm tired of like the all the ball spinning. Just hand the ball off to the referee, man. Let's get lined up again. Um my condition is that the NFL cracks down really hard on this in all the forms of taunting right now, and that we see them kind of back off towards the regular season, and it goes back to a more reasonable level, and uh, are really targeting those things are in the spirit of the, of the rule, the, the disrespectful type of things. You know, we see this in the NBA every year where they target something, whether it's going to be traveling or charging or or whatever it may be, and they. The preseason calls, they kind of border on like ridiculous, and then come the regular season, they back off, and it's called the way they wanted to call it with emphasizing that rule change but not going crazy. I think the NFL, the, the preseason, what they're doing the refs, they're, they're getting film on all these calls, tons of calls, and they're going to they're gonna go through them and say, this is taunting, this is not taunting, this is taunting, and this is not taunting, and we'll see the more correct interpretation of the rule towards the regular season. Um, in, in this situation, I don't think this was taunting. This was a guy who made a great, great play. He, I mean, he just dragged those guys for, for yards, you know, and he was an undrafted rookie. Uh, so this may be his, like, career highlight kind of thing. He's, he's kind of been a journeyman. He got cut by Cleveland last year uh, from the practice squad. So he, he's... Not maybe a guy who's going to make the team, but him getting flagged on this call is also not going to make him not make a team if he's ready for that. The the coaches will remember this play, if anything, for the reason that it was called, too. So it may help him make the team, but what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, this has been a subject that, you know, the taunting celebration thing, it, it comes in ebbs and flows, right? I mean, we go through periods where it's clear that the league is trying to crack down on both taunting and celebrating. I mean, 20 years ago, we lived in the T.O. popcorn, Randy Moss mooning, and Joe Horn cell phone under the... Uh, right. Um, uh, the Dirty Bird, right, exactly. Th- that was expected every game, you know, if something cr- crazy happened. Somebody was going to do some sort of celebration or taunt towards the crowd. And, you know, it really came to a point where they cracked down on celebrations altogether. And then, re- you know, recently we've kind of seen the emergence of um, the touchdown celebrations, the interceptions, the turnovers. It's very subjective. I don't think that this particular play um, – by Benny LeMay this past week was anywhere near taunting. I think his response was pretty appropriate to the play. I mean, you drag a bunch of defenders 14 yards. I mean, I, it's pretty appropriate to flex your muscle because you just drag, you know, drug four grown men down the field. So to me, it's a fine line. And I agree with you. We are in the preseason. So you're going to see a lot of calls that probably won't get made in the regular season. But it's one of these rules and areas of the game that it's really hard to regulate because, you know, I feel like it's a, these are calls that you, you know, when you see them, right? I think most people would say what happened with LeMay is not taunting. Right. But then you get into situations and for me, what, what really pisses me off while I'm watching football is when, there's a throw right to a defender. He intercepts it and he falls to the ground and here comes the entire defense, right? And then they run 80 yards down the field to the camera and like pose for the camera. That is worse to me. So it's just, it's so subjective. It's fan by fan. I think, you know, for the most part, the, you know, the first down signals that players do after a big gain, you know, Chad Henney last year in the AFC divisional game when he scrambled for 14 yards and dove head first and did the huge arm pump first down, you know, to me, that's part of the game, right? And you're playing with emotion. There's no perfect answer to taunting, excessive celebration, but it's just one of those things that for the most part, at least for me watching football for as long as we have, you kind of know it when you see it, right? So I hope I just hope they don't let it get overboard in terms of celebration, but they find that happy medium. It's just harder said than done. So one of the things that's being targeted this year has been explicitly called out is Tariq Hill and his um, pre-end zone celebration. So like his back flip into the end zone, his turning around and mm. wagging his finger. What do you think, taunting or not taunting? To me, if it has no effect on the play, I don't think there should be a flag. And I think a lot of the time, these calls, and it's so hard to do in the moment for the refs, and I understand that, but, you know, the intent, taunting, there's a clear intent, right? I mean, and I think there's even a finer delineation between what Tyreek Hill does I don't think it's necessary, but at the same time, he's so well-respected around the league. Most of these guys that he's burning in the secondary know that they just got burnt, right? So, I mean, that doesn't bother me, but again, that's just, it's, I think it's so di- you know different fan to fan. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that think that when he does that, it's the most disgraceful thing to the game of football. So I guess that what it comes down to, which 
it usually does, is if you're going to outlaw other types of taunting, don't you kind of also have to stop the Tyreek Hill finger-wagging type pre... You know, Desha- Deshaun J- Jackson, right, would be the other example mm-hmm. of players who have kind of excessively celebrated before they even get to the end zone by running down the goal line and, you know, taking time off the clock for no reason. I guess it... Ha- because it's so subjective, I mean, you tell me, but isn't it kind of like almost an all or nothing type deal? Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's an all or nothing type deal. And uh, in terms of Hill, I think that the backflip is okay. It's the finger wagging and taunting. Mm-hmm. It's probably the over the line portion of it. I, I don't, like you said, I don't think it affects the play. I don't think it affects the outcome. But I get why the NFL doesn't want that. They want to have clips they can put on their social media and and you know tweet and and post on facebook that so they don't want all that extra stuff the the flip in the end zone fine that's it's part of the celebration but uh you know you mentioned running across the sideline that that that's one of those things that could be a big brain play depending on timings you know uh we've seen players who who have downed it at the one yard line, as opposed to taking the t- touchdown to, you know, run out the clock as opposed to scoring and let the other team come back. So um, that was a little bit harder, I think, to, to really evaluate to flag, but uh, certainly taunting in terms of finger wagging is a little bit easier. So it all comes down to discipline, right? So, I mean, I hate calls that affect the game like this when, you know, is a Tyreek Hill finger wag worth your team getting a 15-yard penalty and potentially missing a game-tying field goal? I don't know if it is that bad, but like I said, it's got to be all or nothing. And, uh, you know, if they know that's the rule, then it comes down to each team to, you know, show that discipline week in and week out not to get penalized for stupid stuff. So we'll see. I'm sure it'll only be games in to the season before we get a taunting call that really affects the outcome of a game, but mm-hmm. we'll see. So, well, we'll continue our divisional breakdowns this week. We're going to be taking a look at the AFC and NFC East. Brian, this is a biased discussion for you and I, but we'll try to handle it gently and and unfairly. But uh, it's definitely our most anticipated division of the season. In 2020, the Buffalo Bills dominated the division going 13-3, taking the division title for the first time since 1995, while at the same time sweeping their division rivals the first time in history and ultimately falling to the AFC championship game to the Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Dolphins were not far behind, finishing a respectable 10-6, and but we saw our playoff hopes die with the final weeks of the season where the uh, Dolphins were a part of that five-part worst-case scenario outcome, which became a reality. We saw the Patriots, who have dominated the division for the past 20 years, have a very average, humbling 500 season. And then there were the Jets. Uh, let's can't forget about them. 2021 brings exciting season for the AFC East. The Bills are surely the favorite to take the division, you know, once again. But, you know, two in the Dolphins. We made some improvements. Uh, the Bills, or the, sorry, the Patriots kind of revamped in the free agency this year. Do you think either one of these teams are going to be a hurdle for the Bills to repeat? And uh, you know, the Jets even a footnote? Yeah, so I mean, I'll try not to be overly biased, but I would, you know, be pretty confident in saying that I I do think that the Bills probably should repeat. 
um, as the division champs. And I think the division's probably going to end. And there's a lot of debate here but in two and three. I think most people are saying Buffalo for sure. Um, but there is a lot of debate between Miami and then New England for the number two spot in that division, you know. And I understand where, where the, the critics are coming. You know, you have Bill Belichick in New England, surely revamped, you know, uh, a lot of positivity coming out of their camp in regards to Cam Newton. Um, and then, you know, Mac Jones is getting a lot of support um, from their fan base. He seems to be at least promising through one game of the preseason. Um, but, you know, the Dolphins have a really good roster. And, you know, you mentioned it. They should have been a playoff team last year. I think me and you were both pretty much convinced that they were going to be the six or seven seed. Uh, there was a chance that it was actually going to be Buffalo, Miami in the first mm-hmm. round of the playoffs. And then somewhere between 1 o'clock p.m. and 7 o'clock p.m. on the last week of the season, everything just went the wrong way for Miami. So, I mean, for all intent and purposes, they're really, I would say, a play, you know, they didn't technically make the playoffs, but playoff caliber at at a minimum, right, from last year. And the question for them is just going to be Tua. I think we would both agree. You know, their season's going to probably live or die on the arm of Tua. And, you know, one preseason game, the critics are out. Everybody's, you know, you got people on both sides of the fence saying that is going to be great, and then other people who say is going to be, you know, mediocre at best. The Dolphins have a good defense. They have a good secondary. They've made it clear that they're not trading Howard. I do think, and it's hard for me to say because you know how I feel about the Dolphins, but I do think they're the second best team in that division. And I do think that they close the gap to Buffalo a little bit this offseason. And it's really going to come down to the development of Tua. Um, I just don't see Cam Newton or Mac Jones leading the Patriots to more than eight or nine wins. And I think the Dolphins have already proven that they can do that with their current roster. So um, I'm going Bills, Miami, New England, and then, yeah, the Jets are still in existence. But to be honest with you, there's not even much I can really say about the Jets. I don't think they've done much of anything other than they got their boy at quarterback, um, Zach Wilson, and we'll see what he does. But they're a young team. They can surprise some people, but I don't think this is their year. But – uh. What are you thinking? What's your, uh, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think the Bills are a safe, very safe pick for division champs. Um, I'd love to say that we could challenge them this year. Uh, I do think that it's possible we split games. Uh, we almost did it last year um, with Fitzmagic. Uh, so I think it's possible we split games, but I think the the Bills really have a a great chance at winning this year. Um, Certainly, they're not the favorite behind Kansas City in the East, but or AFC, but um, they are, I think, the second best AFC team probably in the league. Um, I like to believe that the Dolphins will make the playoffs this year, from what I've seen and read, and I'm I'm drinking the Kool Aid that the Dolphins are are better this year than last year. Uh, that two is more comfortable. Certainly game one kind of made me believe that I don't, the, the interception at the end was, I think he knew that was his last drive and he was going to force it in there and see if he could do it. Um, 
so I don't really take much away from that interception. Uh, the Patriots, like you said, it's it's going to depend on, on on the quarterback there. Uh, I don't think Cam's the answer. I think we do see Mac Jones, but I don't think it's going to be till later in the season. Uh, so I'm I'm not too. I don't say I'm not too worried about the Patriots, but I do think they're the third best team, uh, and then the Jets. They've got a long way to go. Um, long, long way to go. They still need a lot of pieces there. So, uh, but well, apparently the Patriots played the Eagles tonight. And, they did. Uh, Mac Jones, thirteen for nineteen, one hundred and forty-six yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, ninety-one point one rating. Cam Newton, who I'm assuming started the game for New England, went eight for nine, one hundred three yards, one touchdown, one hundred fifty-one point four rating. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a good stat line by by both those guys, but it's the preseason Eagles, so right, right, I'm not giving too much weight to that either. So, well, we'll go from one Eastern Division that had multiple winning teams in 2020 to a division that had none, often touted as the most competitive division in NFL history. The AFC, NFC East was a mere uh, traveling circus last year. Ultimately, the Washington Football Team won the division. At a record of seven and nine, the Cowboys and Giants end the season just behind them at six and ten, with the Eagles limping into uh, the postseason at four, eleven, and one, and losing once promised uh, quarterback Carson Wentz in the process. Twenty twenty one will surely be up in the air for the AFC East, right, Brian? You know the Cowboys got Dak back, the Giants got Barkley back, Washington's got a little bit of Fitz magic there. Meanwhile, Philly's on to their next quarterback in Jalen Hurts, you know. I think it's fair to say that on paper, the uh the the Cowboys are the best team there and that we uh you know we haven't seen that in the past couple of years, even though that should have been the outcome. So are you taking the Cowboys season or one of the rosters? Uh perhaps, you know, maybe uh chance all four of them have a losing record again? What do you think? Yeah, I, I would probably say it's unlikely that the entire division goes um, and has a losing season, especially now that there's an extra game. Um, you would hope that one of those teams can really come out. And there was a lot of injuries in this last year. You know, let's not let's not get it wrong. Dak, Dak being gone is a huge loss for the Cowboys. You know, Andy Dalton stepped in, and you know it's crazy that he's a starter right now for the Bears, but. Yeah. Um. Uh. It's a real interesting division, and uh, I'm probably gonna narrow it down, you know, to Dallas and Washington. And on one side of the coin, you have Dallas, who, like we said on paper, explosive offense, right? C.D. Lamb, Dak Prescott. Uh, you have Ezekiel Elliott, and then um, Cooper. Cooper, right? So just to name a few. That's pretty potent offense, and you know they scored points last year when Dak was there, um, and I think they're going to do that again. Funny though, they have no defense. Um, I know they tried to address it on the in the off season. We'll see what they've done on the defensive side of the ball. You know, if they can keep teams from scoring forty, they should win, right? I mean, seems that simple, mm-hmm. um, but. It, you know, the other side of the coin is Washington, who has the opposite problem, which is they have a crazy good defense, you know, led by Chase Young. I don't think there's any doubt that uh, 
the defense was the reason they won that division last year. Um, of course, it helps when you're playing a you know Dak uh, Prescottless Cowboys twice and a Saquon Barkley less Giants twice, and then a whoever the Eagles have less <laughs> twice um, in the season. But uh, I think it's between Dallas and Washington, and I think at the end of the day, as much as it hurts me to say, I think Dallas takes the division and it's going to come down to Dak staying healthy. You know, as long as they keep him protected and he doesn't, you know, get that ankle rolled up on again, I I think that they score 30 to 40 points a game and they win that division. You know, Washington, you know, Fitzmagic comes in, maybe he gives them a spark. I just don't know if it's enough for them to win the regular season. I think Dak, I think the Cowboys with Dak last year would have probably won the division. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what puts them over the top. You know, I, I think you're spot on with everything you just said right there. Um, so I'm, I'm going to echo a lot of that, you know, that defense on the Cowboys is going to cost them games. They should be favorites with that offense and those weapons. And I think Dak's a, a fantastic quarterback. I know you don't rate him as highly as I do. But I think he's a tremendous quarterback. So I think that defense is going to create issues. I think they're going to lose games that they shouldn't lose. Um, With the the Washington football team, I keep wanting to call them Redskins. Uh, The Washington football team, Fitzmagic, man. We saw what he could do last year. He still got it. Uh, Certainly there's that that wild card that he may go and – throw for five touchdowns one game and five interceptions the next game. You never know. But that defense they have, I think that's going to win them the division this year. Just because I think the Cowboys are going to lose games because of their defense. Where, on the other hand, I think that the defense for the Washington football team is going to win them some games maybe they shouldn't win. Uh, They may be able to bail uh, Fitzpatrick out a little bit. So, uh, you know what? I think there is a real chance though that all these teams end up under 500 again. Um, I don't know that really any of them did a whole lot to improve on their teams this year. Um, right. And remember, when they had Dak, the Cowboys had Dak healthy in, in 2019. They were an 800 or an 8-8 team, a 500 team. So they may be just about above 500 with him but that defense is is really got me worried really got me worried so uh it's great for me because i like drafting dak so i might try to do that again this year and hope that he's in a situation where he's got to throw it 100 times a game we'll see i mean dallas has for lack of a better word been cursed um for the last 20 25 years and um they've had great talent with no out no successful outcome um, and real quick before we move on, can Washington pick a name? Like, so I've heard they have narrowed it down to five. Names. I, yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's going to become a, a, uh, social media media kind of right. thing as they get closer to the right season. They've got something picked out. They're not going to make the same mistakes they made last year with not protecting that name. Um, so right. It, it's all said and done. They just haven't announced it yet. Well, we mentioned many of these guys' names, but uh, we got our first look at the top five rookie quarterbacks from this year's draft as they made their exhibition debuts. 
Trevor Lawrence started for Jacksonville and was sacked and fumbled on his first snap, but recovered with a solid stat line of 6 for 9 on pass attempts for 71 yards. Zach Wilson was solid as the Jets, or for the Jets, connecting on 6 of his 9 attempts for 63 yards. Trey Lance had bad numbers for the 49ers, but had 80, uh, 80 yards and a touchdown pass. Justin Fields at one point completed 14 consecutive passes for the Bears, and Mac Jones didn't leave the pocket and threw a lot of quick passes. Logan, which rookie quarterback intrigued you the most? But can one preseason game really give us enough insight to tell us what these guys are going to do all season? Yeah, one preseason game is just that. It's one preseason game. I wouldn't go crazy or jump to any crazy conclusions, make any big analyses off of one game with limited stats, uh, snaps, and, and a small playbook. Uh, this is more just a get-the-feel-of-the-game type situation, especially for these young rookies. Um, but the rookie that intrigued me most is, I'm going to say Zach Wilson with the Jets. Um, he was the number two draft pick. When you go number one or number two, you go to a bad team, he ended up on a bad Jets team. And all the reports out of camp was that he saw a lot more downs than he saw ups this, this season so far. Uh, so for him to come in and have those uh, down games, I really didn't expect a whole lot out of him this week. I thought he was most likely to struggle this week. So with a pretty good debut, I mean, six for nine, 63 yards. It was against the Giants, um, but a couple of the throws that he made, I thought, were were particularly nice. He had a nice deep throw. Uh, he had some good timings across his body. Uh, he had, you know, another intermediate kind of uh, tight window throw. Overall. He looked more comfortable than I expected in the skills that made him successful in college at BYU. Uh, you know, a great bootleg passer, uh, a guy who's going to make throws in tight coverage and, and passes that other quarterbacks won't. Uh, he kind of had those on display this last weekend. So uh, certainly it was more impressive than I thought. Um, I'm intrigued to see how he does this week against the Packers and see maybe if Last week was just one of his peaks, and then we'll see him more in the valleys uh, for the rest of the play uh, preseason. But we'll have to wait and see. Uh, admittedly, I want the Jets to remain a dumpster fire of a team because, uh, you know, me and you, we get to play them twice. Uh, so it's nice to have those free wins um, that we've had the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think Zach Wilson was probably the most impressive just because of the same reason um, that you mentioned. You know, every report that I've read about him in, in camp so far has been um, that he's not necessarily living up to the expectations that they drafted him for. But for him to come out, you know, six of nine, you know, New York's a big stage too. So you have to put that into consideration, you know, to go in. It might be a really bad team, but you're playing in one of the biggest markets. Um in the country, a lot of pressure for a rookie quarterback up there. And we've seen it, you know, with the Jets, you know, between, you know, Geno Smith, Mark Sanchez, all those young guys that have come up there in the past, you know, 10 years or so, um, they feel the pressure. So I'm happy that he outperformed the expectation. Um, but I'm right there with you. And we've been, ta we talked about this earlier in the week, the amount of press and praise that some of these guys have get it, have gotten from the first week, like Justin Fields, which, I mean, it, yes, 14 consecutive passes, that's really nice. But, you know, it's one preseason game, and don't forget that most of these guys came in against second, third, or even fourth string defenses. And 
found success. But to me, that's what should have been expected when you're coming in at mm-hmm. that point of the game. You're drafted in the first round. It's it. I understand it's not college anymore. It's like drinking from a fire hose once you get to the NFL. New systems, new protocols, and you're playing with the, the, the most elite athletes to play the game. But when you come in as a, what what was a field, seventh round or seventh pick? in the draft, seventh or eighth pick in the draft, and you're playing against third and fourth string guys, I expect yeah. you to um, perform the way that he did, especially when, no doubt, the Bears put a game plan in line for that game that was going to help Fields make easy completions. And that's the other part of this whole thing is it's one game, and to put everything on the quarterback's performance isn't necessarily fair because we don't even know what packages they have in place, how much of the playbook is being called in these first preseason games. Mm-hmm. You're, you're talking probably about a, a fifth of what the entire playbook's going to be come week one, right? I mean, so there's so many variables that for somebody to sit there, um, and, you know, I'm talking mainly, I won't name names, but, you know, there's one person in particular who's on ESPN radio um, who's just out there saying, I think this guy's going to be good. This guy's going to be, you know, not so good after one preseason game. There's no way anybody knows how these guys are going to play. You know, preseason's not even close to the level that you're going to get during the regular season. And it's good indication, but there's no way we know after one game what the, what these guys ceilings and floors are going to be. Yeah, exactly. We talked and you know, I talked about this, you know, with, with, uh, with fields and the dolphins they start they sat their first i think eight starters on defense um by the time fields came in he was up against the third string guys fourth string guys and and yeah i do expect him to put up those numbers especially because he is an athletic guy there's no reason why he shouldn't see success in the nfl but to say that he's you know oh this proves it you know he's great he he went up against guys who may not make the team. So I, I think it's a little much to, to crown him. I know uh, Cal, or, uh, Bears fans are certainly starred for a good quarterback. Uh, they've had uh, a tough go of it lately. So uh, I'm sure that any kind of success gets blown out of proportion. Um, I do have one other observation. We talked about, you know, Fields playing against the third string. We saw Trevor Lawrence start the game in Jacksonville in place of veteran Gardner Minshew. You know, the Jags, I expect them to ease him in. He's their their future. You know, no need to to rush anything. Uh, you know, I expected him to, to see second team snaps and maybe even, you know, see the first few games of the, of the uh, regular season. But uh, Meyer... He's all in on the rookie. He's going to have a Joe Burrow type situation where Lawrence is going to have to have that trial by fire. He's going to take his lumps. Uh, and he's going to have the responsibility of turning around a very bad Jacksonville Jaguars team. Good luck to him. I mean, uh, the only thing I'll say before we move on is I th- see Justin Fields and my mind immediately goes to, to RG3. And what he was for Washington that first you know, couple of years and how successful he was. And then he fell off the rails. Right. So, I mean, right. You never know. And sometimes you don't know with these guys until year two, three, four, what you're going to get long term. 
Yep. Yep. So we're going to move on from that. Nobody owns the preseason the way the Ravens have. Baltimore holds one of the more impressive and also meaningless streaks in the NFL. They've won 17 straight preseason games and have not lost a preseason game since 2015. The longest preseason winning streak of any team in the past 25 years. This weekend, the Ravens will host the Saints on Saturday night. And they look to continue that streak. So, Brian, who you got? You taking Baltimore to extend the streak to 18 or the Saints to reset the counter? I'd have to look into this even more, but, I mean, it's got to be a John Harper. Obviously, he's the coach there since at least 2015. He's been there a lot longer than that. He just must must not like to lose, even when it's preseason. I mean, nobody likes to lose at that level. But, um, you know, to win this many preseason games in a row, they must be – they must be well aware at this point that they have that record and they're trying to extend it. It's in Baltimore. They're playing the saints. Yeah. I don't think that, you know, the saints are going to, um, do anything that they don't need to just to end the streak. So I'll go with Baltimore at home. I'll see. I'm going to take the saints. The saints actually have something to play hard for. They're in a very heated quarterback battle. So both of those guys, you know, both uh, James, James Winston and, and Hill are going to go pretty hard for that starter position. So Baltimore should be taking it easy. One of these guys is going to face that second, third team. I, if he's going for that starting position, he may light them up and they may see these, the Saints win. So uh, preseason, I'll take the Saints. If this is regular season, I'm taking the, the Ravens. Fair enough. Well, that brings us to uh, this day in sports history, and we're going to go back to 1995. Uh, Mike Tyson starts his comeback after serving three years in prison by knocking out Peter McNeely in 89 seconds. And uh, if anybody recalls this fight, this was the uh, particular event where McNeely's manager jumped into the ring to stop the fight after his boxer was knocked down twice in the first round. Mike Tyson's a bad man. Wouldn't want to take a punch for him. Yep, even after three years off. Bad, bad man, and he's he's back on the scene now. But with that being said, this has been the Sideline Sportscast. We appreciate you guys being with us uh, t- here tonight. Look forward to talking to you next week. We will be going through another of the uh, divisional rundowns prior to the NFL season. But until then, this has been the Sideline Sportscast. Thank you.